This is Exchange with Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we're joined by one of our top public policy experts, Joe Wall, who works out of our Office of Government Affairs in Washington, D.C. We'll talk to Joe about the latest with the U.S. stimulus package, where it stands today, Monday, December 21st, what's included and what's not and other policies that investors are watching as we move into the new year and the new administration. Joe, welcome back to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So here on Monday morning, December 21st, we're just chatting. There's a stimulus package that Congress has been scrambling to pass. Apparently, there's an agreement, but we haven't seen the language yet. What do we know? So yeah, last night, Sunday night at about 5.30 p.m., the deal was, you know, officially announced by both parties. It is, you know, roughly $900 billion, and it is hitching a ride, the stimulus, in other words, is hitching a ride on the end-of-year government funding package, which totals about $1.4 trillion, which, you know, is separate, but is the sort of action-forcing event that pushed the, the negotiations forward. So what we do know is that this obviously culminates six months of negotiations between the two parties that basically, you know, began in earnest in July. And we had an August recess that prompted nothing. We then had obviously the pre-election period that prompted nothing. And now we're here in the lame duck session, which finally has resulted in a package. To put it in perspective, it's been 269 days since the CARES Act was passed. We hope that the bill text will be coming out soon, and I think the House will likely vote this afternoon evening, and then the Senate will follow suit either late tonight or perhaps even tomorrow, depending on if they're able to, to skip over some procedural you know, motions that, that could lengthen the debate, but hopefully they wrap it up by tomorrow at the latest. Well, they're all motivated to get home for the holidays, so hopefully that will help. Talk a little bit about the size of the deal. Any other time, this would have been a monster deal, but we live in unusual times. How does it compare to the CARES Act, the first coronavirus rescue package that we saw back in March? Yeah, so we forget sometimes the CARES Act, which was actually referred to as phase three of the stimulus. We had two smaller phased packages that passed in the early part of March. So phase one was about $8 billion for vaccine research development. Phase two was about $104 billion, which was just tailored around paid sick leave and unemployment benefits. And then we had the CARES Act, which totaled $2.2 trillion. And this, of course, is $900 billion, which I guess we will refer to as phase four now. So if you take in totality, you know, just this year alone between those four phases, we're you know, just north of $3.2 trillion, which is quite remarkable considering the size and scope of that. The latest $900 billion delves into a lot of areas just in terms of replenishing what the CARES Act did, but also includes some new components as well. Well, talk a little bit about the composition, what's in it and what's not. You know, Democrats had pushed really hard for some provisions and Republicans had held out. How did the compromise shape up and where's the money going? Yeah. So in terms of the sort of main pockets that the funds are distributed to, the biggest component is relief for small businesses, which totals about $325 billion. So about a third of the package is devoted to small business relief. About $284 billion of that, based on you know, the summaries and news reports to date, will go to PPP. So there will be a second offering of PPP loans to businesses that have suffered you know, north of a 25% decline in revenue. There's about $20 billion for idle grants, and then also a $15 billion set aside for live venues. 
that obviously have been hit very, very hard by the pandemic. The second largest component is direct payments to individuals. This was something that was added sort of late in the process. It was actually a bipartisan compromise pushed by Bernie Sanders on the progressive end of the spectrum and Josh Hawley on the conservative end of the spectrum, the two senators that you would not necessarily pair together were the ones advocating for direct payments to, to individuals. So these will go to individuals making up to $75,000 a year will get a $600 check and then it's phased out above that income level. Couples making up to $150,000 will receive $1,200 and then each child dependent, if you qualify under those income thresholds, would receive an additional $600. So for a family of four who meets those income parameters, just as an example, that would be $2,400 direct payment to those individuals. The other big components were unemployment insurance. Individuals on unemployment will receive an additional $300 per week through March 14th. So it does expire in mid-March. Schools, who obviously have been also very hard hit, received $82 billion in funding. The transportation industry, incredibly hard hit, received $45 billion, including $15 billion that's sort of specifically earmarked for airline payroll support. There's also $25 billion for rental assistance. And then, of course, one of the other big components that I left out, there's about $69 billion allocated for funding to accelerate vaccine distribution, testing, and tracing. So those are kind of the big buckets of funding that were incorporated. And there's others that they are definitely included that I'm leaving out. But the other items I would say that, that were included that are a little bit on the you know, outside of the spectrum, there was a deal cut last week on surprise medical billing, which is an issue that's been debated in Congress for the last you know, 12 to 18 months. What is not included, and these were sort of the two issues that largely held up negotiations over the last several months, are liability protection for businesses, which was a priority for Senate Republicans and House Republicans, and then arguably the number one priority for House and Senate Democrats, which was state and local funding. So those two issues have basically been punted and were not dealt with in this package. So I think you know Congress hopes to come back for another round of stimulus negotiations in the springtime, and those two issues will you know for sure be on the table again. All right. Well, there's a lot of focus right now on the two Georgia Senate seats. There'll be a runoff election in early January. Obviously, Democrats would like to go back and, and see more state and municipal spending and support. What impact do you think the outcomes of those Georgia Senate races will have on additional fiscal stimulus in a Biden administration? Well, they're very consequential, you know, not only in the near term in terms of stimulus, but also in the you know medium to long term in terms of just the broader legislative agenda. So if Democrats were to win both of those runoff elections in the near term, what that means is that with a 50-50 Senate and a narrow majority in the House, Democrats could utilize the budget reconciliation process, which if you recall back to 2017, the Republican Congress and the Trump administration tried to use the reconciliation process twice in 2017, first to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And then secondly, they used it obviously at the end of the year in 17 to pass tax reform. So we would expect if Democrats do control both chambers, that they would try to use the reconciliation process in the early part of the year, call it you know late March, early April, to try to pass another round of fiscal stimulus. 
Now the reconciliation process is a little clunky and it comes with a lot of guardrails, what you are and what you are not allowed to use it for. But we could also see the reconciliation process reform to allow them to do more. So that would give them sort of another lever to try to get stimulus done. If they do not end up winning both, that means, of course, we're going to have to strike a bipartisan deal between Senate Republicans who will control the upper chamber and congressional Democrats in the Biden administration. And, you know, if we've observed one thing over the last six or seven months is that it was not easy to come up with this deal. And that while, you know, there's a lot of, I think, impetus for another round of stimulus in the early part of next year, again, I think late March, early April is probably the time frame they would aim for. It's by no means going to be an easy negotiation process. So I would say that is the sort of bearing of the Georgia runoffs is that if Democrats do win both, it could accelerate their ability to get something done. So beyond stimulus, what are some of the other economic policy issues that investors are watching as President-elect Biden is inaugurated? Yeah, so I think the big domestic issue beyond stimulus that, you know, that often gets talked about and is probably long overdue in terms of being addressed is infrastructure. So I think that's something that there's a lot of interest on both sides of the aisle in terms of confronting the challenge, of course, anytime you talk about infrastructure is it comes at a high cost. And given, you know, how much money has been spent this year just in terms of stimulus, just you know, north of 3.2 trillion, the challenge that lawmakers will naturally confront is how do you pay for it? If it's a divided Congress, that debate is going to be a lot more contentious and difficult to come to a resolution on, by no means impossible, but not easy. If Democrats, again, were to win both of those Georgia runoffs, they could use arguably a second reconciliation bill much like Republicans did to do tax at the end of 2017, you could see them potentially use reconciliation at the end of 2021 as a mechanism to help pay for an infrastructure package. So what that would mean is they would use modifications to the tax code, raising the corporate rate, potentially raising the top rate for individuals, tinkering with other components of the tax code to generate revenue to help pay for an infrastructure package. So I think that would be sort of the main two components of tax and infrastructure that a lot of people that we speak with are watching carefully. And then I would say the other big domestic issue is healthcare. If we recall back to the Democratic primaries pre-COVID, you know, the number one issue overwhelmingly was healthcare and it was all around the cost of healthcare. So, you know, President-elect Biden has made adding a public option to the Affordable Care Act, you know, a cornerstone of his campaign. So that's something he could also try to, you know, incorporate into you know, a reconciliation package if they were to win, again, both of those seats in Georgia. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for joining us today and for the very timely update on the stimulus package. Let's hope they get that done. So this podcast is not obsolete tomorrow, but thanks for joining us again. That concludes this episode of Exchanges Goldman Sachs. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. We'll be back in January with more episodes on the economy and financial markets. In the meantime, I hope everyone has a healthy and happy holiday season. This podcast was recorded on Monday, December 21st in the year 2020. Thank you very much for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. 
The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.